House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Now for the interview, we have a special guest that's uh, written quite a few books that uh, caught my eye, uh, Deadliest Woman, 1926, there's been quite a few, and uh, so the author, historian David Kolchak. Thank you for being here. Well, thanks for having me. What got you into this um, world of writing, um, you know, true crime and uh, kind of um, the stories that you write? Well, I started out writing fiction. I was really lucky. I, I was about in my 30s, and uh, I wrote a bunch of short, short stories, and I sent them to different magazines, and they all got accepted. And, you know, there's always, they say, oh, expect to be rejected 100 times before you're ever published. And the first three things I sent out, the people got published. So I started writing for a week, weekly paper from the Seattle Times, and, you know, I'll just kind of start doing the freelance writing thing. And um, I was already into having a history degree from the University of Wisconsin in Madison. And I moved to California, and I started digging up all the history books. And it was all about the same thing. And and I, I started looking into crime books. It's all the same characters all the time. And I thought, well, there's got to be more than this. And so I started digging things up and uh, found a lot of good books on uh, Linden Press, uh, Craven Street, Quill Driver. It's their, their subsidies. It's my, it's my first four books are on. And they had these great books of uh, California crime history and stuff. I sent them a, a, a proposition, you know, a proposal proposition. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they said, yeah. And so, you know, they put out four books of mine. They're all California based. Um, California Justice, Shootouts, Lynchings, and Assassinations was my first book. And uh, Death in California is my second. California Fruit Flakes and Nuts. Um, I tried to I tried to get away from the crime thing and uh, didn't work. <laughs> so the next book was California's Deadliest Women. And uh, dangerous, dangerous dames, dames and murderous moms. That book, I got PTSD by the time I finished it. It took me a good year to get over uh, writing that book. There's not one happy story. In my other books, there's always like at least a, hu- a humorous, you know, <laughs> a humorous homicide, you know, or at least kind of, you know. Uh, something really stupid, almost three stooges like. But in California's Deadliest Women, these are like uh, 36 women that um, killed cold-blooded, just cold-blooded. And, uh, yeah, there's nothing nice, nothing to chuckle about. <laughs> oh, I'm laughing. Well, yeah. Well, the, the 36 women that killed cold-blooded, were they serial killer or were they just like uh, killing a lover type thing or what? It, it's all... Uh, a mixed bag. I picked out women that did it on their own, that weren't encouraged by a male or, or by a group or anything. These are individual murders, and uh, you know it's uh, cold, cold, cold. Now, do you find that, that did those women kill um, violently, like with a knife or a gun, or was it like a quiet poisoning? You know, oddly enough. Um, Poisoning didn't really happen that much. I mean, it happened, but those aren't the stories I went after. Um, for every story I, I wrote about, there's probably five that I didn't. 
because it didn't, you know, maybe it was poisoning, maybe it wasn't as interesting, you know. Um, there's a lot of murders that just aren't interesting enough to write a whole chapter about. Hmm. Well, what, do you, what is it that you find interesting? Like, what part um, are you looking for in a murder when you write? Something unique about it, whether it was a multiple one. Because, you know, people say, like, all these mass murders that are happening now. It's like, no, they were always happening. It, there was probably a good dozen in 1926 alone. Hmm. Uh, but so there, there has to be something, um, you know, uh, just just like a lot of times the most interesting murders are the ones where it's just a normal person that all of a sudden is murdered or becomes a murderer, you know. It's not like this person was this uh, criminal the whole time. And one odd thing I found is that afterwards, especially in 1926 I wrote, uh, 1926 homicide in America. There's just all these crazy killings that happened in 1926. I wrote that book because while I was doing research on all my other books, 1926 kept on popping up. But unless it happened in California, which is what I was writing about, I didn't include them. But I I made notes of it and put it away. So I finally got enough to have a whole book about the crime. I didn't even use gangsters or anything like that. These are just like everyday uh, horrible things that happen. No, yeah, I could, sort of read the, um, the, um, the, the forego about that, and it sort of mentions how um, you're kind of su- suggesting that everything just went all loose, like they were just, like, it was just crazy time in 26, you know, uh, the partying and the drugs and the alcohol and killing. Um, what was so different about 1926 that made the whole society go, like, nuts? Well, it was a good uh, six, seven years from the end of World War One. In World War One, everybody signed up and went out there, and um, you know, people came back wounded, uh, crippled, uh, mentally unstable. And everybody had a friend who died. Every family had somebody who died. So everybody saw death. And then the flu pandemic in 1919 the Spanish flu, they called it, that killed even more people. So everyone saw death. Everyone had experienced death. It doesn't matter what social order you were in. You experienced death. And and, uh, and so everybody just kind of said, screw it, you know. So why do I have to uh, wear a corset? Why do I have to, you know, men were like, why do I have to do this or that, you know. Cars became more numerous, and so people um, had, you know, more access to mobility um, the radio, uh, films, the silent films were at their peak at that time. They were, you know, if you watch a silent movie from 1926, it's like a work of art. They had it down. And the films were about people, you know, the It Girl, Clara Bow. Um, I saw that film in a, in a, um, college class I had about 10 years ago. And there were all these young kids in the class, you know, there's like 300 people in this class. And they all just flipped, just like they did in 1925 when it came out. It still, it still rings with the young people. Uh, a hundred-year-old movie. So all these, all these things were happening. There was kind of an awareness. Part of it too is that the radio. Um, that's the first year that um, 
network radio came out before it was all just independent stations. And that's when the National Broadcasting Company happened. They did uh, transcontinental simulcast radio. So for once in the entire history of the world, everyone was listening to the same thing. Beginning of the end. And yeah, it's it's you know almost like you know I don't know how old you are, but when the uh, guys landed on the moon, I was like ten years old, and it was kind of like everyone just kind of felt like, uh, yeah, beginning of the end, man. <laughs> you know, it's like, what does this mean? You know, what what could happen here? You know. Yeah. Well, now we've got people saying it never happened. So. Yeah, but also another thing I've noticed in, in some of the more recent uh, books I'm writing is that after wars. Um, like after World War One, after World War Two, and even now, um, veterans kill themselves, or they have to slow death from the injuries that they had, and that was really bad after World War Two. Um, my father's cousin—I just found this out a few years ago—was um, was like in uh, the Bataan Death March or something, and was a prisoner of war, and uh, he died like in 19. 54, 1953, of his wounds, you know, from having malaria and everything. And people were jumping out of, like, hotel windows, committing suicide all over the place. I'm talking 1946, 47, 48. You know, people just think, oh, man, they went back to work. And it's like, no, people were really destroyed. Yeah, so it really hurts people um, uh, mentally, and and it throws uh, society into kind of a, a uh, little bit of a, a loop there, I guess. Yeah, and also a lot of these people, you know, they they were in war, and and um, so shooting somebody or killing somebody, they've done it, you know, they already did it. So it's it's not like something they have to, you know, the urge is there. So now, were the type of murders in 1926, for instance, um, were they? Um, rather violent and cold and uh, anonymous murders or was it, was it uh, what was different about them they were really violent <laughs> they were really violent murders um, that's another thing that struck me um, even in my books those stories that happened in California were in 1926 one of the weirdest ones that happened on May 30th 1926 in Provo Utah and this four-year-old kid, his name was James Brandt, he was playing with his three-year-old brother in the backyard of the grandma's house. And it was like a Sunday afternoon, you know, his parents were young and stuff. And the kid picked up a hatchet that was laying around the yard and, and beat, his, beat his brother over the head with it over a dozen times. An adult saw what happened. And so, you know, what do you do when a four-year-old's an axe murderer? Do you know? <laughs> they didn't know. They didn't know. You, know. you can't arrest them. They, they took them to the hospital, what they knew about psychology and stuff, but, you know, they couldn't do anything. And uh, the kid died of epilepsy, like, uh, about three years later, at seven. They said that um, their neighbors, when he was just a couple of months before that happened, he was snooping around the neighbor's yard, and the neighbor caught him and said, you know, I'm going to cut off your head. And uh, had a hatchet, and you know, people used to just kill their own chickens in, in their yard back then. And he dragged the kid over to the butcher block just to scare him. They said after that, the kid was never the same, and he started hurting animals and getting in fights with the uh, playmates and stuff. But, man, what do you do? Well, you know, kill him. <laughs> oh, 
yeah, I don't, I don't, you know, that's, that's, I mean, yeah, yeah, but, you know, it did happen, so. Um, so it, it, it only, so this, this, this violent crime period of, of a year, it, don't, it really only happened a year? How, how does society kind of grow out of that so quickly? You know, I don't know the answer to that, because it did fall off. I mean, still there was some, you know, a lot of murders and stuff afterwards and before, but 1926 just had that, that uh, thing where somebody just goes nuts and kills everyone in the house, and, you know. Just, you know, a farmer that, uh, you know, kills his family. It's like, oh, so I, I really don't know. You know, I'm I'm a historian, so I, I'm not an anthropologist. Or, you know. <laughs> no, it's just, it's kind of, you know, just following it and writing about it. I'm just wondering if, yeah. if, if, if you noticed um, uh, something that else going on in 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 the world or u.s that would make it uh like peak in that one year and then all of a sudden jump back because it, it well um, it was also boom times and in, in most of the cities in america so 1926 everyone had a good paying job they, they built um you know, seattle was built the main buildings were in the 20s almost every city uh, uh you know there is the technology caught up with everything. Um, we were doing doing good, hmm. and uh, so so everyone had money, and you know alcohol was illegal, and everyone was listening to the same songs on the radio, and uh, yeah. Now now, um, so how did how did um, policing handle that sort of thing? Did they was there a lot of arrests? Were there a lot of uh, what ended up happening? Well, yeah, of course they got arrested. And most of the time, you know, police, during that time, the police departments, those jobs went to, you know, Cousin Joe can't get a job, you know, or, you know, Smitty just got out of the Army, he needs a job. Okay, just become a cop. Here's your badge, here's your gun, here's your club. You know, they had no training. And, um... Yeah, there was a crime here in Sacramento in like 1936 where this guy started shooting people at the Crocker Art Museum, you know. And uh, there was only like two police officers on duty. And it happened at like 2 in the afternoon. And, and at that time, Sacramento's population was probably 100,000. You know, <laughs> it's, not like, it's not like it was a you know, sleepy village, you know. So, you know, the police were, you know, they they would get, they would uh, uh, beat the crap out of people in, in interrogation rooms. That's how they confession. That's that's how they worked back then. <laughs> Not, yeah. I mean, really, yeah. that's how it worked, you know. <laughs> it, well, um, so when you look at the, the big picture of murder, um, now, do you find that the current trend now of people being really into um, murder and true crime and that whole thing, um, was that happening back then as well? Like, were people into it like they are now? Is there oh, some sure. sort of... Look at uh, mm -hmm. Agatha Christie, uh, 
um, the Earl Garner Stanley wrote Perry Mason books. People love that stuff. They've always loved that stuff. And, uh, you know, it's only been a couple hundred years since everybody's been reading and writing. <laughs> you know, it's only been like 50 years since females have really gotten a, their foot in the door being writers. And uh, same thing with uh, writers in general. Pretty much all the ones before 1920s were rich guys who didn't have to work, you know. Yeah. And, and that kind of ended after World, World War One, and especially after World War Two. What an interesting uh, subject. Well, thanks. <laughs> so, so um, I, I, when you when you were writing about uh, the California little series, like uh, with Deadliest Woman and things like that, how did you pick the ones that you decided to put in the book? Oh, thank you. <laughs> When, when you see them, you go like, whoa, I have to write about this, you know. Um, the, the best times when I'm, when I'm uh, finding these stories is when I'm looking about some other story and then I see in the paper, you know, some blurb about this other group of crime. So one thing leads to another, you know. What, what is one of the weirdest stories of a, of a woman killer? Of a woman killer? You get me back on that yeah. track? I got a great one ready to go. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> I have, one of, this is one of the weirdest stories about uh, California murders, and it's the mad killer of 1941 that happened in Sacramento. And, um, you know, old Sacramento is now like a big tourist spot. You know, it's made up like it's the 1850s and stuff, and it's a state park. It, it's actually a nice place, but it's like where, you know, you get taffy and, you know, tourist traps and stuff. But until 1965, for over 100 years, that was like where you'd go to score heroin and, you know, do some illegal gambling and and uh, that kind of thing. So there's always a lot of um, um, cowboys, you know, looking for work and stuff in that area, or that, that'd be where they'd come into town, you know, because... Sacramento's in the Sacramento Valley. We're 80 miles from San Francisco, but there's a lot of farmland, ranch land around us. So these guys start disappearing, and they also start finding them uh, beat, beat to death. Like they thought like a gorilla would have killed this guy like that. So they find like three guys like this. They find one who's still alive. They don't get much information. All these guys are gay cowboys, gay ranch hands. And so the counties around start, you know, they all start looking around for all their unidentified, their John Doe's. So they kind of cleared off the their boards with it, but there was at least five people, two, three of them were John Doe's, two of them actually had names, that were killed by this guy. And he would basically, they all had the same story, the ones that lived long enough, that they were drinking with this guy. Uh, um, like under the bridge, by the railroad bridge and stuff. He offered them a ride back to their ranch or wherever, and he, he took them out somewhere else and, and like, beat them. And uh, so, you know, the papers are on uproar, and then World War II happens, Pearl Harbor happens. This, these all happen, like, in uh, October, November, then December 7th, they all stopped. So it made people think that this guy was military because they all said that he drove like this, you know, drab green, like kind of older vehicle. And, uh, you know, there's 
two Air Force bases on north and south of Sacramento, especially back then. And uh, so, yeah, they disappeared. The crime stopped happening. But um, they start happening again in 1956. And this is just what I think is just the craziest thing. I, I discovered this while I was doing the research for this book about Sacramento. It's uh, Forgotten Sacramento Murders, 1940 to 1946. So in 1957, five guys that kind of fit the same same category, same MO. They were, uh, let's say, on on the the curious sides of life, right? <laughs> and, like with their faces beat in, and um, just somebody with abnormal strength killing them all. Two of them were uh, military guys too. And then the third, I I added on because it was it happened all at the same time, and the injuries were the same. But there was one woman that he killed. One of these guys that he killed was left on the side of the road. It was a country road back or then. Now it's like there's, you know, a bank in that, you know, area and, you know, workout places and restaurants. And he was left naked laying on the side of the road, almost decapitated. So on everything, same thing, everybody else saw a military vehicle um, in the scene before it happened. And then they stopped again. What could have happened is that this guy was in the military and he got transferred back to Sacramento or he was put in prison for something other than, you know, these murders that he did. And it would have served about 18 years and that's about normal. Um, it was back in those days to serve for uh, murder. So no one knows what happened no one, and no one's ever connected these uh, murders in 1957-58 with the mad killer except me. Hmm. Well, I hope I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> well, well. And so what do you think uh, was the motive then when you get to that? Like, were, were, was he out for, um, was this a, like a, some sort of sexual assault as well? No, like, was there more to you it? You know, they dance around in the papers in those times, you know. And, um, yeah. but there, does, there, there was no hint of sexual assaults with these. Um, he might have, like, you know, gay people. He might have um, hated himself for being gay. I mean, who knows? Uh, he might have just liked to kill people. And, you know, the people he was killing were, um, especially in, in 41, 41 they, they were the outskirts of society, you know. They, they were cowboys. And, I mean, they still had cowboys back then. <laughs> and and uh, farm workers and, you know, that's that's low on the social um, poll, you know. Yeah. But at first, the police didn't pay much attention to it until, you know, yeah, until like two of them happened. And it's just, there weren't a lot of murders in Sacramento in, in the old days. So, there wasn't even now in a way, but, you know, it's, uh, it's hard digging up Sacramento murders that are interesting enough to write about. <laughs> and so, and so, the second uh, thing series of murders happened, and then they stopped again. So, um, yeah, wow. maybe um, he got caught for some other crime in the military, and they sent him somewhere else. Um, 
they had the, the bases here, McAllen and Mather. Um, Mather was uh, like a navigation school, and uh, they also had bombers there and stuff. But um, McAllen was like an armory. That's where they had bombs for uh, World War II, and Doolittle's Raiders were fitted out there and all that, you know. So that was a major, major base. Thousands of men that uh, they're coming and going all the time. You know the, the Golden State murderer guy, right? That happened right here in Sacramento, actually in the neighborhood I live in. Um, everyone thought that he was like an Air Force uh, Special Forces guy because he, you know, would disappear and he was like such a, you know, he would he would, there were cops that were like stand, almost standing on him and he was like hiding in bushes and stuff. They'd see the evidence later, you know, that he was under there. And that's why um, everyone everyone thought it was like a guy from Mather, which is the closer base to where the crimes happened. And it turned out to be this guy. Well, he hasn't been convicted yet, so. Well, yeah. <laughs> I think it's pretty, pretty, uh, they're pretty solid cases. Yeah. DNA and yeah, a friend and of mine used stuff. to deliver his newspapers. Do you ever wonder? Yeah. Do you ever wonder how someone like that can do so many killings and attacks and then just stop and then live a normal life for years? Yeah, isn't that weird? You know, and that's why everyone thought that he was like a, you know, military super, you know, sealed ranger guy or something. I mean, you know, um, I've been told by people in this neighborhood that when it was heck decoys out, they were trying to fit into the neighborhood. <laughs> they were like wearing wigs and bad beards and stuff. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's just it's crazy. I, I just wonder, um, does that kind of all kind of almost prove that a lot of the Profiling done on these killers are are not so accurate, and they're 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 kind of way off base yeah. in a lot of cases. Yeah. Well, wasn't the Green River killer up there in Seattle? Seattle wasn't the case too. Didn't wasn't it just turn out to be some guy they had no idea didn't fit it? Yeah. And uh, same yeah, thing with the like BCK so guy <laughs> in Kansas City. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that's sort of what I mean. There's so many. That they get it by accident, you know, a parking ticket or something weird, and mm -hmm. then uh, they catch them. But it's not from the profiling, and I just wonder if if that's just a whole lot of money for nothing. Well, I think a lot of things are, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there's a whole lot of money for nothing all over the place, you know. Yeah, yeah, big business. Um, well, it's, it's, it's really interesting, but um, do you have any influences? Is there, is there other writers or, or programs or, or things that influence you on how you write? Um, J. Robert Nash is the guy that uh, he wrote, uh, well, he wrote a dozen here, Murder America. He did the Blood Letters and Bad Men. He got famous for it. It came out in about 72, and... Um, yeah, it was just like the first history of, like, letters and bad men, you know. And it, it gave me, just uh, inspired me, all of his books did. And he also does it in a kind of an order that I kind of do, too, where I, I hate when I'm reading a, reading a story, 
and I'm like three paragraphs down, and I still haven't found out what town it's in, you know? And it's like, yeah, tell me where it is, you know? It's like, set, set the story up, you know, the date, the address, if I have it, and who was involved. And, and I just kind of do that just so, you know, that's, I don't know, J. Robert Nash, I guess I have to hand it to him. He's, he's still alive. He's about nine years old. He's a Chicago guy. Um, yeah, he supposedly has the largest crime library in the world. So he's he's my had the year yeah, and uh, and Kurt Vonnegut's my other um, influence. Just his writing style, you know, I just just love it. Because well, most of my stories when people say this, it's they you read them and it sounds more like somebody's telling you the story, you know, and. Uh, because you know a lot of a lot of history is written so so dry, you know, and and they have to tell a story, and it, and having a history degree and things, um, you know, I I believe that you you have to write these things. You have to be a good writer to be a historian. That's what I'm trying to say. You know, yeah. so so you have to narrate the way you have to. Uh Make it fun for somebody to read, you know. Unless unless you're writing a textbook, um, you know, there's no reason to have, you know, footnotes and all that stuff. I don't want to bog things down with, you know. There's this one book I reviewed about, and the guy got really mad at me. But um, basically, he went off on a tangent, many pages of something that had nothing to do with the story, and you know, I pointed that out. But you know, you have to. to I would rather write a shorter story than to go on and pad, uh, you know, you know, something. I, I do the same when I get around. Yeah, it's that. like you know. Well, people have short attention spans. I have a short attention span, and you know, um, I kind of write about the crimes. I don't write about the the court drama that happened. In um, well, not as much as I do about the crime exactly, unless it's something really crazy happened in the courts. But you know, I find the court. The court's kind of boring too, most of the time. So, where where do you plan on going with uh, writing these books? Do you keep you, where do you where do you head next for writing? I'm a geezer now, so I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. You know, I, I seem to have uh, found a, found a, my genre, and and I'm pretty happy with it. Um, you know, I've been getting a lot of calls from radio stations and podcasts and things, and uh, I'm kind of turned into the, the the old man of true crime, you know, especially for California. So, you know, at this point in my life, I'll take it. You know, it's like uh, I don't know how many more years I got left. I'm glad I'm glad I had the honor to really my first four. Um, you know. You know, it's like when you release your first book, people are like, that's great. You release your second one, people are like, oh, that's cool. You release the third one, they're like, yeah. <laughs> Another one? What What do you hope people get uh, out of your books when they read them? I hope that they realize that things have gotten a lot better. You know, there's always all this negative yib-yab about, oh, crime's so much worse and all that. It's not. And they they catch people nowadays. In the old days, you literally could get away with murder. 
just because the police didn't really investigate. Um, the police would get paid off. People didn't care. People didn't have IDs. Yeah, things are better now. You know, the police are more educated. They're better trained. You know, we can go into a whole debate about that. They, they, we have radios now. 1926, they didn't have radios in police cars. You know, just think of that's just one simple thing right there. Well, just the whole idea of a forensics too, right? And even fingerprints were so primitive. Yes. And 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 look at back even just in the late eighteen hundreds when they just would wash down the crime scenes, you know. <laughs> right. You know, it's it's yeah, they they much better, much more professional, and there's less crime than there is. You know, also back then too. Um, People weren't as educated until after World War II. There was a lot of people that were illiterate and and had no educations at all. And um, that that improved a lot after World War II. But you know, when and there's some stories I got in 1926. You know, I got in um, the Dakotas, Montana, the old northern part. That was all full full of and Czech and Poles, um, Swedes. That came over there, and like everyone spoke, like in North Dakota, everyone spoke German. The only people that spoke English were cops and school teachers, and you know everyone spoke German among themselves. And they were families. I, I read about this one in 1926, where they had like 18 kids, you know, uh, 10 boys and eight girls, and the girls were all married off by the time they were 14, and the boys, they would get maybe two years of school and then they'd go out work out in the fields they didn't even read their own language and they were um, once they were 16 or so they would even their parents would lease them out to other farmers to help with their work and their parents would sit back and just collect the money and that was an agreement until they were 25 years old what happened with this one kid is that the parents uh, um, sold them basically to this this cup away from home, you know, and away from all of his family and everything. And uh, the kid was so stupid, he thought, you know, oh, these people, and it was like a young couple, they were, you know, uh, doing a scientific farm, you know. And uh, he killed them both, and then just to steal their car, he just thought, hey, that's the way I can get the car, I'll just kill them. So he did that, and then he drove home, like, hey, look at the car I got. <laughs> I mean, you know, just not a brain in his head. Now, do you have a website or a place that people can come find your work and find you? Well, I have a Facebook. It's David Kolchek, criminal or homicide historian. And then I have an Amazon page, too. That's just my name. And it has all my books for sale there. I used to have a blog, and I found that um, I sold less books if I had uh, if I put stories. Up. <laughs> yeah, so, that's so, geez, yeah. That's all they need. It's your blog. <laughs> yeah, David David Kolchak. So you could be the night stalker. You know that was my nickname when I was in seventh grade when that TV show came out. Um, I was the night stalker. It's been my um, nickname in various works and stuff throughout my life. My brother. Bolchak, that was his name too. He was a freshman in college when that came out. So, yeah, the Night Stalker thing for a long time. Yeah, I, I remember that sort of. Go Jack, too. Yeah. 
We're like Kojak. <laughs> well, uh, it, it's just been fun talking to you. I, I um, <laughs> we'd love to have you on again. And hey, uh, This has been fantastic. So. Uh, we will have your books. We'll have your website, or your actually your Amazon and Facebook page on ours, so people can do one click and pick it up. So, you know that was it's, it's very good. Uh, David Kolchak, thank you for being here. Hey, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.